attempts to make this man, Jesus, stumble over his words. To test him. To catch him in a lie. Or worse, to expose his ignorance of the law of God of Israel. Now we all know a lawyer would never do such a thing. <laughs> but please try and imagine the scene before us. A man... A man who claims to know the law of Moses so well that he challenges him, the word of God, who is the very fulfillment of those engraved tablets. A man so unbelievably ignorant of the intent, the purpose, the role of the law that he attempts to test the one, Jesus Christ, to which the law points points to is a road sign points to a hill right over, or a city right over the hillside. The good lawyer asks Christ what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Christ retorts back, what does the law say? What do you say, a great scholar of the law? The lawyer says, to inherit eternal life you must love the Lord God with all your soul all your mind and your heart, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Huh. Jesus playfully responds, very good, very good. Do this and you shall live. Do this and you shall live. And without taking a moment to contemplate his deeds and humility, the lawyer responds by saying that he has done this, that this he has already accomplished. But, but, and this is where our lawyer shows his ignorance this morning, but Christ, but Rabbi, who is my neighbor? In response, Christ tells a story a story of a man who descends from the heights of Jerusalem to the badlands of Jericho, where he is jumped by a gang of thieves, beaten, wounded, and left for dead. A priest sees this man, laid up in a ditch, incapacitated, lifeless, but chooses to pass him rather than to extend him the hand of mercy. A Levite comes along and sees much of the same, crosses the street in order to keep his distance and passes this helpless man by his way. But another man arrives in our story, a Samaritan, who sets his eye on this lowly man who is sprawled out in the dirt. Only this time the Samaritan, quote, came to where he was at. And so descends into the ditch meets this man with compassion and heals him with ointment. He then departs from Jericho and leaves the wounded Israelite with an innkeeper. He leaves him in safekeeping with the manager of an inn and asks that he be looked after. That the innkeeper help continue his work in nursing him back to health. Promising to return and to repay all that was spent contributing to his aid. 
A story of this kind is not only intended to instruct, but as a parable, it has a, diff a different kind of application. It's, it's somewhat like a painting, a rather simple way of taking a hold of one's imagination and causing it to stretch with the complexity of meaning, of people, of culture, of history. And so let us attempt to analyze the settings, the characters of our story, one at a time, and I hope that this will shed light on the question of what it means to be a neighbor. And so what is Jerusalem? What is Jericho? Early church commentators conclude that Jerusalem is meant to represent the pre-Lapsarian creation, or the Garden of Eden, the creation before the fall. And that Jericho is the post-Lapsarian creation, or the world after the fall of humanity into sin and corruption. Who is this man from Jerusalem who is beaten and left for dead in Jericho? When commenting on this passage, Ambrose of Milan, a beloved voice of our tradition, had this to say. Jericho is an image of this world. And the man from Jerusalem is Adam cast out from paradise, that heavenly Jerusalem, descended to it by the mistake of his transgression, that is, departing from the living to hell, he was greatly changed from that Adam who enjoyed eternal blessedness. Now here the father of the fourth century church asks us to look through the parable and see that the man who has descended from Jerusalem is in fact Adam, the father of who has fallen into sin and thus expelled from the glory of the garden and cast into the depths of Jericho. Milan continues. Adam fell among thieves when he turned aside to worldly sins. He fell among thieves when he turned aside to worldly sins. Who are these thieves? Ambrose asks us. Who are they? If not the angels of night and darkness who sometimes transform themselves into angels of light. Who are they, if not the ones who have stolen the clothes of spiritual grace that humanity had received upon its creation? <clears throat> Next we look to the Levite and the priest, both of whom are unable to help this kind of Adam who has fallen and been beaten by sin. St. Augustine says that these two represent the law and the prophets, the law of Moses and the prophets of old, who are incapable of cleansing Adam of his sin, unable to restore him to health as he was in the garden. And so when Jesus Christ, or the Good Samaritan, sees the half-dead, him whom none could cure before, became a neighbor by acceptance of our common feeling and kin by the gift of mercy. And upon his death and resurrection, Christ departs from Jericho, from earth, for Jerusalem, for the heavens, and he leaves behind this man in the caring arms of the innkeeper who is the church, promising to come again to reward him for his care and service to the 
this man's restoration. The parable in light of these hermeneutical strokes should be read as follows. Adam falls from Jerusalem, from the garden, unto the corrupted world, to Jericho, because of his sin. His spiritual nature is stripped of its original cleanliness and perfection by the principalities of darkness in the world, and he is left for dead to suffer and sin. The law and the prophets are unable to save him, unable to redeem his bruised body, so they passed him by. Christ, the good Samaritan, does what no other can. He meets him in the pit and heals him through his atonement and resurrection. And he departs for Jerusalem, for heaven. It is then the responsibility of the church, the innkeeper, to continue in this work until Christ returns to reward him for his deeds. I think that it is beyond dispute that Christ is both the man who fell from Jerusalem to Jericho <clears throat> and the Samaritan who heals him of his wounds. It is Jesus, our new Adam, who willingly fell from the heights of heaven to the dust of the earth. It is Jesus who entered into the flesh of humanity to be mocked, stripped, beaten, and left for dead by robbers and thieves. And it is Jesus who the Levites and priests failed to recognize, who looked upon him and saw nothing worth saving, nothing worthy of even the slightest shade of human dignity, but instead looked upon his humanity and the ignorance of his divinity and crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. The incarnation is the story of God coming from Jerusalem to Jericho, but he does not do so reluctantly. Christ does not condescend to his creation and reluctantly believe it of its sickness. No. No, he is skin in the game. Too much, in fact, not to put himself on the line, not to put himself in the line of fire. He has too much to lose to not do it himself. He has too much hope for the return of one of his lost sheep. He has too much hope to just lounge around in the staleness of the night, overcome with despair. Too much love not to go out, to go out and scour the hillside for the one who's fallen away. The Christ that you and I know, the Christ who is the church, and who the church is, is the one who laid himself down in ditch and bore the blind hatred of man with his body. And for what? For whom? For the one who lays in the ditch next to him. Christ laid down in the ditch so that we would not be alone in the ditch. So when someone crosses the street and passes over our suffering, we are able to look to his slain body and know that our suffering means something. That our suffering means something because he shared in it. It means something because it's tethered to him. Because, because God became a curse for us so that we may be freed from the curse.
curse of sin and death, for it is written, Cursed is every man who is hung on a tree. If in Jesus we only see a kind of spiritual physician who has some exterior anecdote that can cure us of our ailments, of our disease, then we have simply failed to recognize the cost, the cost of grace. Cost God his life. Think about that. Can't even begin to understand such a thing, how a God could die. How could God die? This is the scandal. In order to renew humanity, Jesus had to be. In order to console the lonely, Christ had to be abandoned by the twelve. In order to know our pains, our suffering, Christ had to endure the abuse of the wicked and the powerful. In order to defeat sin, Christ had to become sin. In order to defeat death, God had to die, and this is our God. And if we don't get this, if we're not careful, we will make the same mistake that the legal scholar from Luke made in our reading this morning. We will misidentify Jesus Christ. We will look upon the face of God's Son and fail to see the Son of God. The law says you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind love your neighbor as yourself. And our lawyer says, I have done it. I have done it with excellence. Christ answers back, no, no. You've left behind the man in the ditch. Did you not know that I am him? Did you not know that when you serve the beaten and broken man laid out in the ditch that you are serving did you not know that what you have done unto the least of these, you have done unto me? And this is the scandal, this is the stumbling block for our lawyer this morning. What does it matter if the Samaritan can heal our wounds if he isn't first willing to lay down in the ditch with us? And this morning we are confronted with the reality that we may not know him, so I ask you, who are you in this parable? Which character in this parable do you think best represents your day-to-day -day life? I know that I've been laid out in the ditch. And if I'm honest with myself, I know that I've crossed the street at the sight of the suffering of another. But I pray to God for you and I that we see ourselves in the image of the one who brings healing, of the one who lays in a ditch. I pray to God for you and I that we see ourselves in the image of the God who took our sins upon himself and descended into hell for the salvation of the world. For this is what it means to be neighborly, to recognize the ineffable 
the irreducible, the immeasurable dignity of every human person. 